You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Wait, we're starting a new series today. I get to kick it off. I'm so pumped. It's called Grateful. Grateful. As we come into this, you know, I don't like saying the holiday season because we're not there yet. I don't like when people rush it on the holidays and like Christmas lights are coming. But, you know, we're, we're getting close and so as Thanksgiving comes up, we're going to um, get into this series about being grateful. That's interesting because gratitude actually has a profound effect on your physical health. The more grateful you are, the more physically health, healthy you are. And that's not from the Bible. That's from like, like science, like secular science. Okay, I'm going to read you something. Benefits associated with gratitude include better sleep, more exercise, reduced symptoms of physical pain, lower levels of inflammation, lower blood pressure, and a host of other things we associate with better health. Just by being grateful. Okay? Now, it's, it's not, it's not um, unironic. That's a double negative. Um, that the Bible commands us to be thankful. The Apostle Paul in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. And when you see a command in the Bible, you need to understand that God is not some cosmic killjoy. It's not like God is like, you ungrateful little cretins. You will be thankful. It's a command from God because it will actually benefit you. Your life will be, you will be physically healthier if you listen to the word of God and are a grateful person. And gratitude is so, so tightly coupled with faith. To be grateful is to recognize that there is a source outside of yourself. To be grateful is, in essence, to believe in something bigger than yourself. And actually, G.K. Chesterton, very famous um, Christian theologian, said, the worst day for the atheist is when he finds himself so filled with gratitude and has nobody to thank. So we're going to get into this series. I have a message called, Things You Probably Aren't Thankful For But Should Be. Things you probably aren't thankful for, but you should be. Three things in our world that in the moment are never fun for anybody, but are actually gifts from God that we should be deeply thankful for. Point number one, not going to get a lot of applause on this one, just prophesying that right now. Correction. Come on, yes, in the front row. That was a golf clap. Yes. Correction. Things we probably aren't thankful for but should be. To be corrected. Listen, it's never fun. I don't, unless you're like a masochist or a sociopath, like nobody likes being corrected in the moment, ever. It's never fun. It's never fun when someone comes up to you and says, hey, you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Or you're not doing something that you really should be doing. That's never fun, ever. But it is actually a gift from God. The scariest verse in the Bible to me 
is uh, in Romans 1, and the guys are going to put it up on the screen here in just a second. I'm going to set it up really quick. So in Romans 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about how um, humanity has, even though they, they knew God, understood the truths of God, they ignored God and, and said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to, going to you know, march to the beat of my own drum. And the scariest verse in the Bible to me is Romans 1, uh, verses 28 through, through 32. It's going to be on the screen. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here's the scary part, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, be filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Come on, somebody say amen undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do they do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So if you guys could put verse 28 back on the screen, the second half of verse 28, that's the scary part. It says, and God gave them over to a debased mind. You know, we used to sing this song like 15 years ago. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs. And it's true. You know, you just can't. But it is possible, according to the Bible, that there is a point where God will just say, you know what? Have it your way. And that is terrifying to me. So whenever you are corrected, that is actually an amazing sign that God has not given you over. And so you should be thankful when you are corrected. I find great comfort when I'm not in the moment. I actually hate it in the moment. It really sucks. But after, I find great comfort when I'm corrected because it means God has a destiny for me that requires that I be a better version of myself, that the weight that he's asked me to carry cannot be sustained with the person that I currently am. And so he brings people, he, he uses his Holy Spirit to correct me. Now, I'm going to put a proverb up on the, the screen, and don't get mad. If you, if, you have, if you take issue with this, you can email Stacy at awakenchurch.com. She'll take care of it. But this is just, she's not even here to defend herself. I know, it's not right. But I'm going to put this proverb up on the screen, okay? So Proverbs 12, 1. Let's read this. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Just a little Selah moment. I, I didn't write that, okay? That was King Solomon, the wisest of all men, okay? Just so you know. He who hates correction is stupid. We don't even let our kids say that word. It's in the Bible. Come on, it's crazy. Correction is a gift. And you will, and that's one of the reasons that the church is so important I don't know how people that don't have the Holy Spirit and don't have church ever get anywhere. I mean, who, who do they have in their world to correct them? So as a believer, you have the church, you have your leaders, your pastors that have been charged with shepherding and caring for your soul, and their job is to correct you in love, and do they always get it right? No. Is every leader perfect? No. God will also use your spouse to correct you. And all the husbands said, yes, amen, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes. And God uses the Holy Spirit. You ever have one of those moments where you just like, 
just a thought pops in your head and just instant conviction. You just know like, oh man, I, I screwed that up. That's the Holy Spirit correcting you. And listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm the pastor here and I am not, I get corrected all the time. Mostly by my wife, but by others as well, okay? And actually just two weeks ago, I got lit up in a, in a church meeting. There was a project that, um, that I, I said yes to, that I said, hey, I'll take this on, and, and I did a great job 95% of the way. I did a 95% awesome job on this project. And you know, listen, I have, a lot of you guys know, like I'm, I'm a volunteer, I do this volunteer, I'm a businessman, I've got an engineering company, I've got a lot of stuff going on. And I had every excuse in the world for why I couldn't take this thing the last 5% over the finish line. And in this meeting, I just, I mean, it was like a one-two punch from Dr. Matt and Stacy. I mean, it was literally like Dr. Matt punched me over here, and then as my face was flying this way, Stacy, boom, Dr. Matt, boom, oh God, boom. And they just laid into me, and it's like, hey, 95% is not good enough. You, and, and, you know, I had, and inside, you know, on the outside, I was like, oh, yes, thank you. Th on the inside, I was just like, <laughs> and I was so, it just welling up with excuses and being defensive. On the outside, I was like, mm, 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 mm. but on the inside, I was not happy. But you know what? I'm so thankful for that because they're right. I chose to take responsibility over this particular project and I took it 95% of the way. And I don't wanna be known as the 95% guy. I wanna be known as the 100% guy. And so I'm so thankful for leaders and pastors that are willing to have hard conversations with me. When we first took over as campus pastors, um, the pandemic had just hit. Katie and I were like eight weeks on the job, just like, man, this pastor thing is awesome. And then the world fell apart and it was like, oh Lord, what, what is happening? And I, um, I posted something on, on social media and was swiftly and sternly rebuked by Pastor Leanne. And upsetting Pastor Leanne is like looking in the face of Jesus himself and him saying, I'm disappointed. It was like, I was just like, ugh. And she was gracious, but just said, hey, like we're in a time of great uncertainty and, and you know, this post just, just came off arrogant and self-absorbed and like we did a, and I just was like, and, I, and I'm so thankful it was a blind spot. I didn't see it. I thought it was harmless, no big deal. And I'm so thankful for leaders that would come and say, hey, this is, this is not a good look for you. That's like, you want people to look for your blind spots. The reason they call them a blind spot is because you can't see it. The nature of a blind spot is that you need someone else to tell you about it because you're blind to it. You should be thankful for correction. Yes, I'm getting, I'm getting more and more amen. There we go, yes. Be thankful for correction. Put yourself in a position to be corrected. Serve on a team where there is a leader. Go to a connect group where you have a connect group leader. Give people license to speak into your world. I remember one time my good friend, Marco Contreras, sitting on the front row, dear friend of mine, corrected me. My daughter, Everly, um, is three years old and she's um, had a handful of medical mishaps. She broke her leg when she was a little baby. She fell open, fell and split her head open and had to go get stitches. And um, so she was playing around in the sanctuary and she was leaning on a chair and the chair fell over and you know, she was crying. And, and I, I said something like, oh, you know, my accident prone daughter or something like that. And then 24 hours later, and I'm Marco's pastor, okay? But Marco came to me 
called me on the phone and was like, hey man, I just, if you'll allow me to, I just want to, I just saw something in, in you that I just want to point out. And I was like, of course, please. And he's like, you know, don't speak that over your daughter. It is as you say, like if you say she's accident prone, then she's going to be, don't say that. And I'm so, th- it's not like I was like, I'm the shepherd and you're the sheep, buddy. Who are you? No way. I was so thankful as a blind spot. And now I never, I'm not going to say my daughter's accident prone. She is perfectly healthy in Jesus' name. She is a fearless future titan of industry. Come on. And I'm so thankful for friends like Marco. Now, if every time Marco comes to me to point something out and I'm like, snap at him, well, then guess what? He's probably not going to do it anymore. Right? So are you an approachable person who welcomes correction in your world? We should be thankful for correction. Point number two, things we probably aren't thankful for but should be. This is going to trigger some people. Stress. Yes, this is intentionally controversial. It's on purpose. If Dr. Matt Hubbard were here, he'd start manifesting and say cancel and talk about how being stressed is not one of his core values. And, you know, and we're just, we, you know, I'm too blessed to stress. You know, I'm too blessed to stress. And I, I understand what, what you're saying, you know. And, and, yes, it is possible that stress, you can allow yourself to be stressed about things that shouldn't stress you out, and that's not good, okay? But stress, we're going to, you know, I'm an engineer, so we're going to go on a little physics journey for a second. So stress is an engineering quantity. It's a, it's a physical thing that, that we study and is measured and materials experience stress. Stress and pressure are almost the same thing. They're very, very closely related. Again, a little math lesson. Don't worry. I'm going to make it. We're just calm down. Nobody freak out, okay? Pressure is force divided by area, okay? That's what the definition of pressure. So easy example. If you need to move through the snow, Do you think you're going to be better off wearing stilettos or snowshoes? Snowshoes, right? The force that you exert on the snow, you weigh the same, but the area, the stilettos have a much smaller surface area than the snowshoes, so there is less pressure on the snow in snowshoes. That's why snowshoes work, okay? That's pressure. Now, stress is the internal force that a uh, material experiences when under pressure. Stress is an internal quantity, okay, as a function of an external force. Now, you were made to be able to withstand stress. You are not meant to live a stress-free life, okay? If there is no stress, it means there is no pressure on your life. It means that you are not carrying anything. You, are not, you have not chosen to adopt a responsibility in your world. Stress is a good thing, okay? You don't believe me? Let's listen to what Jesus has to say. <laughs> Ever heard of him? Okay. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 29, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke is this leather device that an ox wears that goes around the ox's neck that's attached to the plow, and that's 
it's a force transfer mechanism. You guys are getting all the engineering jargon today. So that's how a, an ox, when the ox moves forward, it, the yoke actually applies the force to the plow, and that's how you pull the plow, right? It's interesting because the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 says it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Everybody wears a yoke, all of us. No matter what, the atheist, the Christian, the Buddhist, the Muslim, we all wear a yoke. For those of us that are outside of, the, uh, of a relationship with God, that yoke is a yoke of our own sin, our own shame, our own baggage. Now, Jesus did not say, come to me, all you who labor, and I will remove your yoke. He doesn't say that. He says, take my yoke. There's an exchange, one yoke for another yoke. We all have a yoke. We are all meant to pull something. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we've got to stop for a second. That word easy, all Bible scholars agree that this is not the best translation. And it's not like the Bible translators got it wrong. It's just when you translate from one language to, language to another, it's not always a one-to-one -one thing. I'll give you an example. We've got a lot of Spanish speakers in here. Is there anybody in here whose name is Mike? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to make you do anything. Your name's Mike? Yes, me too. Mike Cassidy right there. So in Spanish, we would say, somos tocayos, which means we have the same first name, tocayos, okay? In English, we don't have that word. There's no, we just say, sup, bro, we have the same first name. So that's the translation of tokayo in English. Sup, bro, we have the same first name. There is no one word that is tokayo in English. We don't have it. So in the, the, the word that your Bible says, my yoke is easy, is not how we think of easy alone on its own in English, okay? And if you, the only other place that Jesus uses that word is in Luke 5.39. That's not going to be on the screen, but it's where he's talking. It's this big parable about um, new and old wineskins and whatever. But at the end of the, the parable, he says, and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires the new, for he says, the old is better. That word better is the exact same Greek word that is being translated as easy when he says, my yoke is easy. So when Jesus is talking about the old wine is better, we got two. We got two winos up here on the on the front row. These guys know that old wine is more rich. It's more flavorful, and that's what that word means. So when Jesus says, "My yoke is easy," he's not saying, "Oh, you know, there's no." It's easy, man. It's on easy street, stress-free life. He's saying, no, no, no. When you take my yoke upon you, it's rich. It's flavorful. When you take the yoke of Jesus upon you, you're signing up to carry weight, to pull things. But he says that my burden is light. So there's two ways that something can be light. Paolo knows because he's super strong, goes to the gym all the time. You can either lift less weight or you can be stronger. The stronger you are, like, you know, if Paolo and I lay under a bench press, it's going to feel a little lighter to him than it may to me, okay, because he's stronger than me. So when Jesus says, my burden is light, he's not saying that you will not carry anything heavy. He's saying, I'm going to make you strong so that it feels light, okay? 
You should be thankful for stress and pressure because you are meant to carry weight. God has a destiny, a purpose for you. Jordan Peterson, a clinical psychologist uh, from Canada says, the truth of the matter is that the meaning that will sustain you through life is to be found in the adoption of responsibility. And the heavier, the heavier the responsibility you are willing to adopt, the more richly meaningful your life will be. The Christian life is not a stress-free life. The Christian life is not a pressure-free life. Moment of transparency. Katie and I live in a place where if God doesn't show up on a weekly, if not daily basis, we will unravel. Our life is very stressful in a good way. And, and God has given us the strength and the fortitude to handle that stress and to bear that weight. You know, and, and every stress in our life, just so you know, is caused from things that we prayed for. When we took over this campus, we prayed, God, bring us more people. Trust us with more people. God, grow this campus. The campus has grown 50% since Katie and I took over. And it's stressful, okay? We're trying to figure out where to put all of you. We're talking to the city. We're about to start a big construction project in a few weeks. We're gonna build stadium seating in here. And it's stressful. It's stressful. But you know what? It's stress that I prayed for. I asked God for. God knows I'm good for it. It's good stress. It's good pressure. In 2020, I'd started, a, a lot of you know the story, I started an engineering company in, in, at the very end of 2019 and then 2020 hit and it was like, yeah, no one's doing anything. Economy just stopped and it was really, really hard. So in 2020, all I was praying for was business. God, please let me make a sale. Can I please have just one sale? Will someone please exchange money for my services, please? <laughs> just, just one, anybody. Now, my problem is, God, I need the cash to come in right now so I can pay my guys, so I can keep doing the work. Now the stress I'm experiencing in my business is because I've made sales. And now I'm very stressed trying to handle the blessing of God on my business, okay? And that's a good thing. It's good. You should be thankful for pressure and stress. Now listen, you can let stress um, overwhelm you and make things bigger than they actually are, and that's idolatry. That's you magnifying your pressure and your stress instead of magnifying your God. So yes, it is possible to allow stress to become an idol and to have power in your life that it shouldn't, but it is a good thing. It's something that we should be thankful for. Somebody say, amen. Come on. So good. Point number three, things we probably aren't thankful for, but should be. Rules. Rules. Wow, I got two sort of claps on that one. Wow. So listen, we, we and I want to be careful here because we say it in our church too, but, um, and it, it can be semantics a little bit, but you know, you hear all the time like, oh, you know, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? We've all heard that. And we, we, use the, we use the term religion a lot of times at our church pretty derogatorily. And it's like, oh, it's a, a religious spirit and religion and it's bad. And, and I, I totally understand the heart. And yes, it's true. Christianity is a relationship with God a lot more than it is rules and regulations. But it's, Christianity is a religion, okay? A religion is a, a set of beliefs and a set of, of ways to, to do things and ways to live. And Christianity is definitely that. So if you hear somebody say like, oh, no, 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 I, you know, I, I, religion is all about rules and regulations. I just have a relationship with God. 
the implication is that if you're in a relationship, there's no rules. Anybody who's married knows that's not true. There are definitely rules, 100%. And actually a lot more rules than when you're not married. Can I get an amen? People, people say like, oh, Christianity, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Like that means you get to do whatever you want. What marriage would function like that? I'm so glad we're married. And now that we're in a relationship, we're just free to do whatever we want. That is not the recipe for a healthy marriage. I actually found that when I got married, there was a lot more rules. And those are good things, great things, things that make my marriage flourish. When I, and I have to learn how my wife wants to be loved and love her that way. You need to learn how God wants to be loved and love him that way, okay? That's what a relationship is. Man, I, you know, I, we have this, when we were newly married, like Katie made me this dinner and, uh, and we're just talking, having a great time, newlyweds in our new little apartment in Dallas, Texas. And, and so she plated my dinner and then she's, and we're just talking away, having a great time. And she's plating her dinner. And by the time she got finished plating her dinner, I had eaten mine. I was hungry. I didn't know that there's rules. And I, you know, I grew up in a family, a great family, loving family, but we just didn't do family dinner. It was just always kind of like, you just eat whatever, you're on your own. And there was, there was rules that we sit down as a family and we eat together. I didn't know that. It was a, it was a rule. You don't get to just do whatever you want. Now, I have learned that in my family, and it's not just like a, now I, I treasure that. I treasure and value our family dinners. When we get to, and, and you know, as you've heard, Katie and I live a very busy life. And when we sit down as a family, us and our two kids, I have learned I'm obsessed with family dinner, but it was something I had to learn that that's how my wife feels loved. That's what's best for our family. There are definitely rules to being a Christian and you should be thankful for those rules. God has given us in this book rules on how to live. I don't know how to explain it any other way. It's just true. There's rules in here, okay? And now we live in a Western individualistic society that says, oh, rules. Ugh. And we think that freedom is defined as the absence of all restriction. You know, love is love. Who am I to tell two people who they, you know, if they like no restrictions, just love is love, you know, whatever, it's all good. It's all good freedom, no restrictions, okay? So this makes me think of Ariel from The Little Mermaid. You know, she's just, she's so oppressed, so restricted by the tyrannical patriarchy of the ocean. And she's just, she's just trying to live her truth just trying to be her unique self. Who's the ocean to tell her what her lived experience should be? And so she wants to be where the people are. She's like, I'm tired of this ocean trying to hold me down. I want to be up there where the people are. So she, you know, gets up there, gets legs or whatever. Now imagine Flounder, her little sidekick, the little fish Flounder. What if Flounder was like, yeah, I'm oppressed too. I want to be where the people are. I'm so sick of this ocean trying to hold me down. I want to be free. And so Ariel's like, yeah, you little buddy, you got it. She picks up Flounder and throws him into a field. 
And Flounder's like, I'm free. <laughs> Flounder is not free. And it's actually the presence of restriction that allows him to be free. Flounder is only free in the restriction of the water. Life is not about the absence of restrictions. It's about finding the right restrictions. You are the most free when you understand the boundaries that God has put around you. God has designed a way to live that will invoke human flourishing. There's a way to live where your life will be better. And this, this is, there is a, uh, a, a paper in the American um, Political Science Review. This is a secular publication. This isn't the Bible. This isn't like, you know, Focus on the Family with James Dobson. This is a secular publication. And a, a, a sociologist studied the effects of Christian missions on third world developing nations. Okay? So he looked at nations that historically have had a high concentration of Christian missions and compared them with third world developing nations that historically did not have a, a lot of Christian missions. And when he compared those two groups, he found something astounding. That the nations that historically have had the message of Jesus Christ preached are today far healthier nations. And in crazy ways, like the, the infant mortality rate is lower. Their economy is better. Their, their GDP is higher. There's higher levels of educational attainment, especially among women. Everywhere the message of Jesus goes, communities are better off, period. And that's, not, that's, that's just from observation from sociologists. God has designed a way to live and it's a better way. God is not trying to restrict you and keep you from things. It's like, you know, flounder, thinking that freedom means get me out of the water. That will lead to his death. Listen, you can take your Prius off-roading. No one will stop you. I'm an avid off-roader. I've, I've been to the trails and there, you know, you get to the trails and there'll be a, at the trailhead, there'll be a sign and it says off highway vehicles only. But it's not like there's a guard there who's like, whoa, 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 we got a Prius, buddy. Slow down. You could take your Prius off-roading. Nothing will stop you, but that's not what it was designed to do. Your Prius will be terribly harmed if you try to off-road it. And you probably won't get where you're trying to go because that's not what it was designed to do. And so listen, there's probably nothing that gets more eye rolls than the idea that, that sex is between one man, one woman in the covenant of marriage. Nothing that gets more just like, okay. But God has designed that as a way that will lead to your flourishing, period, period. Now there's grace, of course. Listen, I had sex before I was married, okay? My, Katie entered our marriage as a virgin. And we, when we started dating, we spent three, I don't know why we dated three years. God, what a mistake. It was three of the longest years of my life because we abstained. We abstained. I mean, after three weeks, I was like, let's tie the knot, let's roll, I'm ready. <laughs> three years later, It's on the podcast. 
just so you know. But I'm telling you, it's the right way. And Katie and I just have an incredibly blessed, intimate life because we, and it's not to say that God can't redeem anybody's background. Again, I had a checkered past, but it's God has designed things for your flourishing. When God says those who are planted in the house of God will flourish, that is not God trying to like, how can I leech as much value out of my people as possible? I want them serving on the parking team. I gotta grow my church. It's God saying, if you plug yourself into the local church, you will be better off. There is a design. There are rules for how to live and it's for your good. God has your best interests at heart. We should be thankful for rules, for ways to live. And I wanna close the message right now. And I'd love um, if every head would bow, every eye close. I wanna just, maybe you're in here today and you don't feel like you're flourishing. You don't feel like, you know, like, like your life is going, as the Bible would say, from glory to glory, strength to strength. And my question would be, have you actually submitted yourself to living a life for God? Have you been trying to do it your own way? Marching to the beat of your own drum, trying to save yourself, trying to earn your way in, thinking that if you just do enough good deeds, outweigh your bad deeds. And friend, I'm telling you, that's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is not be a good person, obey the rules, and you'll get to heaven. The message of Christianity is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, there's 10 commandments. We don't need 10. He could have just called them the one commandment. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. Every single one of us is guilty of that. Every single one of us. Me too. Pastor Jurgen, the Pope, everybody, all guilty of putting something before God. It can be anything. It can be a good thing. It can be your kids. If And kids are a gift from God. But if your children is your the ultimate reason for your existence, it's how you 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 draw all of your identity. And if your kids were taken away or went, went off the rails that your entire identity would crumble, the Bible would say that's idolatry. That's breaking the first commandment. It could be anything. It could be great things. It could be your success. God wants you, as we heard from Pastor Rudy to, in our Pathfinders, we encourage people to go into the marketplace and crush. But if your success defines you, if it is the ultimate thing that you draw value from, then the Bible would say that's sin. We think of, you know, sin as like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and it's not. There could be, it's just making something more ultimate than God. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would counteract the power of sin. That believing in God and what Jesus did is the reversal of that. It's replacing God and putting him in his proper place. And you will live a life filled with adventure, with joy, with blessing, with laughter. 
And I wanna just give an opportunity here as I close the service for anybody that needs to just make that decision. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. That's it. It's just a simple prayer. There's no performance on your part. You don't need to go say a bunch of our fathers, Hail Marys. You don't need to go do a bunch of good deeds that way your bad deeds. It's just believing, just believing, just putting faith that what he says is true. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.